The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Tonight on Fast, the Powell plunge stocks tank as Fed Chair Jerome Powell hints at speeding up the taper timeline. We're breaking down the fallout and finding new opportunity in this big drop. Plus, the ultimate safety trade, Apple, holding up in today's session. So is this where you want to park your money? We'll take you to the charts. And later, the crude collapse oil tanking today as WTI hits its lowest level since August. We're drilling down on the energy trade. Welcome, everybody, to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. And we start off with the 30 words that sent stocks spiraling. It is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. That threat of a faster taper sending the S&P plunging nearly 2% to its lowest close of the month. The index is now below Friday's sell-off low. Every sector in the S&P 500 down today, with telecom, utilities, and staples seeing the biggest losses. Yields also on the move. The spread between 10- and 2-year rates hitting its lowest level since January. So how do you set yourself up after today's action? I mean, as hawkish as we thought, as you guys thought Powell's testimony was last night when, the, when it was released, he was more hawkish today, Guy. So, so what do we do? Yeah, well, I mean, clearly inflation is, I mean, I think he's concerned. You hear comments like that when he had all the air cover in the world, not to make comments like that. It makes you wonder, like, what is he seeing or what, is, what realization is he coming to, right? So, well, what do you do? Well, the market has proven what me, at least for me over the years, it's impervious. And 45.30 in the S&P 500, that was the all-time high back in September that past uh, resistance would become support. But the one you have to look at, in my opinion, and kudos to Carter Braxtonworth, who pointed out the fa false breakout, comes in the form of the IWM. 214 or so is your line in the sand. I think it closed around 219 today. That false breakout has a lot of people concerned, clearly for good reason. It's impervious. The markets are impervious as long as it's got the Fed in its corner. But it seems like what Powell's showing today is that he's more concerned about inflation versus the stability of prices in the markets. Tim, what's your interpretation? Look, it's 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 ironic. It's shocking. And for a guy that you know put transitory in the dictionary in the lexicon of, of much of America, um, where are supply chain disruption dynamics not suddenly transitory. Well, we know that they're possibly not. And the, the lack of slack in the labor force, again, uh, there's a function of COVID disruption. There's also a function of higher wage growth and services inflation that's far from transitory. So it's, it's just an extraordinary. And I, I think, you know, if there's one thing that we've all pointed out, but I'll say it again, it, more central bank 
equals more volatility. And, and if they're going to move faster than we thought, uh, markets are not priced for this. And, and that's really what it comes down to. It's not about EPS revisions coming down. It's not necessarily uh, about where the multiple on the S&P has got. Um, it's all about what the Fed does. And, and what you heard today, uh, after last night we suggested it sounded hawkish, today was downright hawkish. And, and I think that's something that we still have to come to terms with. And it's, it's, it's shocking relative to, again, to a central bank that was not just indifferent, but almost blind to inflation. This happens on a day, though, when housing prices, as we're reminded, are up 19.8% after 195 last month. We're getting CPI around Europe and around the world. We're going to get those numbers here. Um, there's nothing in there that should make inflation uh, uh, dubs feel good. And maybe the, the Fed is finally not an inflation dub. Yeah. Um, Karen, you tweeted a picture of a hawk earlier today and you said, oh, I thought that was a hawk, but it was actually Jerome Powell. <laughs> do you really, I mean, do, are you detecting a, a real change? I mean, this is supposed to be the most telegraphed taper in the history of tapers. And granted, there aren't, you know, it's a small data set there. Um, but the most telegraphed, the one that the markets mm -hmm. were expecting, and yet we have this sort of reaction. Yeah, well, he's doing that again. He's telegraphing something further again, right, that the taper may actually happen a little bit quicker. Now, in reality, does that make that much of a difference? I don't know that it really does, but the idea of, okay, wow, the Fed is really now, they're serious. They realize that inflation is not transitory, as they thought, that they're not even going to use that word anymore. That, that is a change that's interesting, but I think the market can be okay. I mean, down 600 and whatever it was, that's an ugly day, but it's really not the end of the world. And if you step back a little bit, you know, where are we? Back to where we were a month ago? That's not that big of a deal. I think the market can do fine if the economy does fine and the Fed tightens. But I don't think the market can do fine if the economy sputters and the Fed needs to, they still need to think that they need to tighten. That's not ah. a great scenario. So I think it comes back to this variant and does it, do we get our arms around it quickly? Do we, do we feel like it's a, you know, a big threat? Is it something that that may be transitory? I don't know. I think the market can rally off of that. So I'm actually, you know, blood on the street, some of which is mine. I'm looking to buy. Karen went exactly where I wanted to go, and that is a scenario in which the Fed starts mm -hmm. to tighten and the economy isn't doing so well. And you got to think, Guy, you know, we tend to be, I don't want to say conspiracy theorists, look at the way things can be interpreted in a negative way. And the way Jerome Powell sort of became very, very hawkish today, it's, in, in a abrupt, seemingly abrupt change, you got to wonder whether he thinks that the Fed is increasingly being backed into a corner. It's got no choice because it's got to fight inflation before things get too hairy out there with the economy. Given the, the spread compression that we've seen in twos, tens, is there a thought in the market, do you think, that stagflation is a possibility? Not only a possibility, but I think it's, it's, a, real, it's a real outcome here. Danny Moses has talked about it, and I know Dan Nathan has brought it up. There's no question about it. I mean, I think the move in yields today was a flight to quality. I think that'll be short-lived. But inflation is here, and slowing growth is here as well, by the way. And they can't combat that, and I think they've come to that realization. And given the forces at work, I think they're choosing to fight inflation before they're choosing to try to reaccelerate the economy. Understanding that, any attempt to do that will only make the inflation portion that much worse. They have absolutely backed themselves in a corner. I think he's known it all along. 
But I think the outcome now is such that he has to make this decision. By the way, good for him, in fact, if that's where they're going. And that taper of $15 billion probably should be larger, but I'm not running the Fed right now. Yeah, Dan, you aren't either, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, no, I certainly am not. And, and I would just say this, is that, you know, that whole notion of, of fighting inflation, if they had done it sooner, you know, look at what the drop-off that we had in Q three GDP expectations. It started the quarter at high single digits. It came in at about 2% or a little above that. So if they had started tapering earlier, we would have had that choke on growth and it might've been much worse. So I'm with Guy. I think that I like the fact in the face of all this, they are gonna finally take a look at inflation or acknowledge it. I'll just mention one other thing about the stock market here. You know, the S&P 500 is down about 3.6% from its all-time highs made just last week, okay? One of the things that really stuck out to me, Mel, today was the equal weight S&P 500. It's down nearly 6% from its highs. Now this, I know we're gonna talk about Apple and the day that it had, okay? Just think about that. If we have Apple going the other way, if we have Microsoft going the other way, and manner. Um, this market is really due for a correction here. And I think the equal weight S&P is telling you just how bad the breath is. Guy mentioned small caps earlier. I mean, they're down 10% from their recent all-time highs after a failed breakout. So most stocks in this market do not act well right now. Yeah. And so I mean, obviously the flip side of the S&P, the broader index doing better than the equal weight, Tim, is that big cap obviously are performing, outperforming on a relative basis. So is that where you want to be? Is the message of the markets correct in your view if we are heading for this environment where there could be increased chop in the markets because just of uncertainty on the course of the Fed taper and, and Omicron? Um, is that the safety play? The safety play is big cap tech if you actually think we have slowing growth. And, and if you think we're getting stagflation, guess what? You want to be in mega cap tech. I'm sorry. Uh, if you think that the Fed has lost control of inflation and that you're going to see rising rates and that reflation trades work, um, I, I would say get out of the way. So you, you kind of have a hedge for yourself in the middle of all this. I, I think you have a case where uh, mega cap tech stocks, Dan's right, you know, have been carrying the day. And, and that's something that's not an overnight trade. And, and it's something that actually, if you go back really from those October 4 lows, um, the, the triple Qs have outperformed the S&P. So very much mega cap tech heavy by almost 5%. Today, even on a down day, continues to outperform. I would not be running too far away from mega cap tech. I do think there's an overreaction because with that 3.7% pullback from last week's all-time high, um, there was a 10.7% move higher from that October 4 low. I think we need to take a deep breath. I think the Fed is the biggest issue here, and I can't handicap Jerome Powell's commentary from today or yesterday because it's very different than what we've had. That scares me. All other things considered, I'd rather be in energy. I'd rather be in reflation trades. I'd rather be in value um, at a time when I don't think growth is falling out the window. So um, the Fed, I can't handicap them, but I do think that ultimately you have things that are way oversold on the downside. Do you want to be in banks still? I mean, what we've seen with uh, the two's ten spread, Karen, is not optimistic. I mean, I, we, we go through this all the time, right? Banks don't necessarily need the yield curve mm -hmm. to be steeper, but it's nice and it certainly trades that way. And yet here we are with uh, the spread very, very narrow. Um, that's going to that's gonna hurt this trade and has hurt this trade. Yeah, it has hurt this trade. I think it may continue to weigh on this trade. It, it did narrow quite a bit today, and it's already been narrowing in, uh, in front of that. So it's down. It's compressed a lot. So I don't know that we'll see it. Maybe we'll see. We're sort of uh, 
we're two-thirds of the way through the quarter already, so I don't know how much we'll see it when the earnings come out, but we'll see what they expect for their future net interest margins to be. On long banks, it's, that has not been a fun one. As they come in, I would like to buy more. I didn't buy any more today, but can I just add one conspiracy theory about yes. the Fed and about Powell, which I know you love them, not that you do, but you love them, is that since he was renamed to the, um, to the chair position, and we know that Biden is quite concerned and vocal about inflation. And he didn't choose Brainerd, who people would have seen as far more dovish. He was looking for a hawk. He was looking for someone to talk about inflation. Yeah. And so Powell is now doing his job, it seems to me. And it also happens to be true. Inflation is here for sure. Yeah. And, and we, we certainly saw the Biden administration trot out Janet Yellen. I don't want to say trot out, but she was out there and she opened that door. I think it was last week or a week and a half ago um, to the Fed doing something about inflation. So maybe if we had read the tea, I mean, obviously we're armchair quarterbacking at this point, but the tea leaves were out there. Guy, back to you, though. Um, you say the markets are impervious, so... All good still? I mean, are you still feeling good about an end of the year kind of rally? Or are you getting grinchy? Um, well, I'm, uh, listen, first of all, you know I'm grinchy 365. I, I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. So, so you do know that. By the way, the Grinch was also the hero of his show, if you really want to get down to brass tacks. Um, Tim makes an excellent point. I mean, there's a complete 180 here, it seems to me. The rhetoric has changed. I love Karen's conspiracy theory. I do think the market has been impervious, will continue to be, and I think seasonality suggests we're going to get a rally. But I will tell you, you know, if the Biden administration, to Karen's point, is, is using um, the Fed chair to sort of tamp down inflation, be careful what you wish for, because you might tamp that down, but you might tamp the stock market down a lot more. And consumer spending, to me, all hinges upon the stock market continuing to do well. So they're pulling a lot of levers. Just be careful which ones you pull. All right. Well, t despite today's sea of red on Wall Street, our next guest still sees upside ahead. Let's welcome Dubravko Lakos Buhas, J.P. Morgan's global head of equity macro research. Dubravko, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Um, you're optimistic for next year, uh, but the key risk is a hawkish shift in, in Fed policy and central bank policy. Did we see that today? I, I think we did to some extent, but um, I think the bigger question is really, <clears throat> is the faster taper a precursor to a sooner liftoff and to a more aggressive rift, liftoff? And I think that's ultimately what I think will uh, is, is, is the bigger factor at play. And so uh, I heard some of the discussion that you guys had just, just a few minutes ago, and we need to see, you know, obviously the Fed needs to address inflation, and I'm sure that probably there is some pressure they're getting from the outside, from D.C., so we need to see to what extent they really follow through versus not. Uh, and again, I personally think, uh, given that this is a midterm elections year and uh, they probably don't also want to have demand and growth completely rolled over, um, you know, I, I think they'll probably end up being still somewhat more balanced. But the good side of all of this, we've kind of gotten the hawkishness and the faster taper sort of out of the way, right? So the market now has basically started to pricing a lot more than perhaps, say, you know, a month or two months ago. Glass half full. That's interesting, Dubrovko. I mean, it's also interesting that you, you say that politics could play a role. Um, that would be obviously a market change from what the Fed should be doing in terms of considering the course of its monetary policy. Are you saying that it could be influenced by what is going on politically around it? No, not by that. But what I'm basically saying is 
you know, uh, you want to see a good economy, you want to see a healthy labor market, you want to see an expansion that doesn't basically hit a wall. So I think the Fed, I think, is willing to normalize, uh, you know, keeping that keeping that in mind, right? So so I think if they're go- if, if the Fed is moving aggressively in a backdrop where growth is rolling over, uh, you, you kind of go back to square one. And I'm not really sure what you're accomplishing. To prop goods, Tim, thank you for coming on and talk about style. Talk about the the uh, divergence between value and growth. I know you've written about this, and I think you have a view. Look, I think it's quite simple here. Um, one measure I'll throw out there: if you look at, if you ask the question, what is the premium that people, that investors are paying right now for low volatility stocks? Think of them as higher quality safety stocks relative to value. That relative premium, that premium itself, is now back to COVID highs. Back to COVID highs, March 2020, when the degree of uncertainty was 10 times bigger. So bottom line, I think when you sort of look at high beta stocks, not just in cyclicals value, but when you look at high beta stocks within growth, because there's a huge amount of dispersion on the growth side, a lot of stocks are down. And they're not down 10%. Many stocks are down 20 30 40%. And if you look at outside of the U.S., I mean, first of all, if you look at down the cap spectrum, small caps, you look outside of the U.S., Europe, emerging markets, you know, you know, so, so I, I think there's a lot of negativity priced in already when you sort of look at internals and sort of what's happening beneath the surface underneath the market. Obviously, the sort of the five or the 10 biggest mega cap stocks in the U.S., um, you know, you know, have been sort of breaking out. So there is high concentration. But again, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, I think there's a lot of negativity priced in when you sort of look at how the high beta or the value trade is, tra- is, is, is performing relative to sort of the higher quality, lower volatility stocks. Price target for next year on the S&P 500 is 50-50. Um, and you like a pro-cyclical tilt uh, in terms of sectors, energy and financials, consumer services, healthcare, small caps. Um, what I also thought was interesting within your call on the global uh, viewpoint, Dubrovko, is your call on Europe in relative outperformance to the U.S. Why, given Omicron and, and the lockdowns that Europe is seeing, what are you seeing in terms of uh, the drivers there? So on the Omicron side, on the, in terms of the latest uh, South African variant, I'll just simply say we're not worried and we don't think this is going to impact the outlook in any material way. We think it's temporary. Uh, so far, so far, symptoms relatively mild, and um, we think that likely remains the case. Uh, now, um, I, you know what I would say. Um, um, you know, w- w- when you sort of look at outside of that, uh, we, we do expect sort of at a cross asset level for rates to move higher, not just rates but also real rates. And so, in that backdrop, we think it may be hard for tech, especially mega cap tech, to continue to lead to the upside. Uh, again, fundamentals will be fine, but we're basically saying more of a market performer and other parts of the market basically see a multiple re-rating or relief rally. And that's why we think there's room not just for Europe within developed markets, but also for emerging markets relative to developed markets to actually stage somewhat of a comeback after a dreadful, dreadful last 12 months. All right. Dubravko, great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. Dubrovko Lakos Buhas of J.P. Morgan. For more on J.P. Morgan's full 2022 market outlook, uh, uh, head on over to cnbc.com slash pro. That's an interesting point in terms of the tech-heavy United States relative to the less tech-heavy other parts of the world, like Europe as well as emerging markets. Dan, what do you think of Dubrovko's call? Yeah, I, I do think it's an interesting point that he makes that under the hood there's a lot of negativity here. And so if you think about the next couple of weeks, what we 
have here. We have some stuff going on in Washington, the debt ceiling. Um, we also have a Fed meeting coming up. And we know that this Fed chair Powell has done some about faces. If today is an about face, if the stock market goes down too low over the next couple of weeks into that Fed meeting, he will get more dovish to just kind of manage the sell off in equities. And I think so you have that to look forward to again. Everyone's got to be cool here. We are down 3% from an all-time high. The S&P and the NASDAQ are up 20% on the year. Another 5 or 6% might be a great thing for that 50-50 target that Dubrovko has for next year. We have to take a little fear out of some of the mega cap names, and then you reload. Those are the names that I like to reload. The other ones, the ones that are down 30 40 50%, you might get something on sale. You might get something that grows into that valuation over the next year or so. But I think those top six names are so are the ones that you'd love to see down 10 or 15 percent over the next couple of months and load up for a rally at some point in 2022. All right. Coming up, we've got much more in today's market sell-off, including the ultimate safety play. One stock seeing green um, in today's sea of red. And the chart master says this is where you should park your money. He'll break it all down. Plus, we're digging into the crude collapse, oil falling to a three-month low during today's sell-off. How should you trade the space? And we're all over the After Hours Action shares of Salesforce. That stock is on the move on earnings, specifically on its guidance. The company's call is now underway. We'll break down the latest from Fast Money Returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Salesforce. The stock is falling with the company's call underway. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. That's right, Melissa. Salesforce shares down about five and a half percent. The company announcing that president and COO Brett Taylor is being promoted to co-CEO along with Mark Benioff. Taylor also becoming vice chair of the board. Now, Salesforce did beat expectations in the top and bottom line, but it was guidance that fell short of expectations. And that's what's sending the stock lower. Now, revenues of $6.86 billion were just ahead of the $6.8 billion expected, while adjusted earnings of $1.27 per share surpassed estimates of $0.92 cents per share. But guidance for fourth quarter earnings of 72 to 73 cents, that fell far short of the 81 cents that analysts anticipated. And the company gave a longer term outlook, guiding to revenue of 31.7 to 31.8 billion dollars for next year. But that's below the 31.8 billion that is the analyst consensus. Now, Mark Benioff kicked off today's earnings call, which started at the top of the hour. He kicked it off talking about his new co-CEO, Brett Taylor, saying he's had an amazing run over the past five plus years at the company. 
Taylor adding that this new partnership is the culmination of a decade-long friendship with Benioff. Now, Benioff also talked about how each of the company's cloud businesses are growing by double digits and also talking about why they're raising their guidance. Make sure to catch Salesforce co-CEOs Mark Benioff and Brett Taylor on Mad Money tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, Salesforce was down about 4% in the regular session, Guy. So this is a tumble even further uh, from the regular session. Yeah. And it's and it tumbled even further from the prior all-time high we made seemingly just a few weeks ago. So just to put it in context, I mean, obviously the guide was miserable. The quarter was fine, I thought, EPS and revenue, but the guide was miserable. So we'll get that out of the way. Where do you buy the stock? Well, the prior all-time high was right around 270 back in August of 2020 before the stock cratered. So past resistance becomes support. We should find it here. And this would be about a 14% peak to trough decline. So I think it's interesting. You're going to have a huge volume day tomorrow. It's be interesting to see if this 270 level holds. But I think that's sort of your line in the sand. All that may be moot, though, if you think high valuation stocks are not in vogue right now, Karen. Where are you on that IGV short? Mm-hmm. I'm short IGV. As it turns out, the biggest single component in the IGV is Salesforce. Uh, it's just under 10% of the IGV. So. If you think rates are going up, which I do uh, because of inflation, then I think even if they put out great numbers. Now, granted, the, the quarter was good. The, the guidance was what was disappointing. It doesn't really matter when you have a super high multiple and rates go up. It's just math. There's not more to it than that. You know, it has to come down. So I'm staying short the IGV. I am long what I think of the more value, you know, F MAGA names. But the, obviously those got hit today as well. Say la vie. Yeah. I still like them. Hanging Sam? on to them. Hey, yeah, there's so much to chew on here, Mel. I, I just think this is a really interesting one. So if you look at that full year revenue guidance, it's a pretty tight range, right? But that guide down in EPS, which was a big miss, what is that telling you? Are margins getting hit here? What are some of the inputs that are going into, you know, whatever they're doing or weighing on profitability right now? That might be a really instructive sort of lesson for what we might see as we get to the end of this quarter and into January into Q4 earnings season, especially with high valuation names. Guy's level is a gap fill from that prior earnings report. That makes sense to me. Here's the other one. You like conspiracy theories. We've been talking about that a little bit. Why did Mark Benioff just promote Brett Taylor, who is the chair of the board at Twitter? Who I just knew saw you were Jack going to Dorothy go there. <laughs> All right. But, but here's the thing. I think the way that David Faber broke that news, right, they did not really give Twitter a whole heck of a lot of time. I have to think that Brett Taylor hops on the list to take over as CEO of that company, okay? So Benioff did that deal to bring him, to keep him there. He's in a really important part. He's one of the most respected technology executives out there. But then I'm going to take you back. Do you remember years ago where Benioff was kicking the tires on buying Twitter? Maybe we see that. I don't know what the end in sight is for Twitter here. Um, that thing looks like it's going to be a $30 billion market cap company in the not-so-distant future. And I can see a lot of really smart integrations with what Twitter does well, well Salesforce as well. What level was Twitter trading at back then when when Benioff was kicking the tires? And it didn't happen. Probably then. lower. Yeah. yeah, probably lower. And it's higher now. Tim, what do you think the odds of Salesforce for Twitter are at this point? Uh, look, I, I think the Slack acquisition and the broadening of the platform made a ton of sense. It made a ton of sense also using the, the overpriced currency in the stock. Um, I, 
Look, this wouldn't be my conspiracy theory. I, I, Dan's connecting some dots that are interesting, especially when you consider the history here. I, I think, you know, the more important part of this is that in their investor day, they talked about a, a, a higher margin profile for the business. Um, the street and I think the, the, the buy side was looking at the fourth quarter pipeline um, for, for revenues to be significantly higher than what they delivered here. And it was coming out of an accelerating third quarter. That's the story on the stock. 45 times revenue to free cash flow. Um, it, you know, uh, EPS to read cash flow is, is a very, very expensive stock. And I think that's what this comes down to. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. A red day on Wall Street, but Apple managed to stay green. Is this the ultimate safety play? We're hitting the charts to find out. Plus, two pharma stocks diverged. So which road should you travel? The traders are breaking down that trade next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money, a big down day on Wall Street. But take a look at what worked today. Apple shares ending the day up more than 3%. So is this the ultimate safety trade? Let's get to the chart master. Carter Worth to break it all down. Carter. Well, you know, you, you point out the single most salient and important data point up today uh, in a tape that was exceedingly red, which is to say no one has to buy or sell unless, of course, you have a margin call. And the fact that people chose not to sell Apple in and of itself and actually to buy it third highest volume day of the year uh, means a lot. So let's look at a chart or two, a table or two and try to pull it all together. Basically, um, the first one, Apple is essentially a laggard that is uh, just coming to life. So the top panel is Apple, and you see it's been ascending, but the bottom panel is something altogether different. Apple has basically been dead flat and underperforming, uh, to some extent, the S&P for the better part of 12 months. So take a look at the table that comes next, and this really puts it in context. This table shows the performance. Apple had a blow-off peak uh, in September of 2020, and those numbers are very stark, right? From September, uh, second, 2020 to present, Google's up 73, Microsoft up 46, S&P up 30, and Apple up only 23, meaning it's been a real laggard since that uh, blow off. Now take a look at the next slide, data table, but what's happened over the past month? The exact opposite. You have tremendous performance from Apple. So relative strength, one of the great factors in investing is showing us that something is going on. Now, three charts. An Apple chart that picks up the COVID low, no judgments or annotations by me. 
Next chart, let's draw some lines. One way to draw the lines, this is what my eye sees, and we are moving above that upper uh, bound. And then the final chart, it's a short-term chart, uh, it really puts it all in context. This is the definition of a breakout, a textbook move to a new high. So if you look at all the factors that one can look at earnings revisions or evaluation or balance sheet leverage, over time, one of the great factors in investing is relative strength. Today's relative strength in and of itself is nothing short of shocking. So back to Microsoft, Carter, I couldn't help but to notice the big gains that we saw at 46 percent and then unchanged over the past month. Is that just a rest and is that a positive sign actually for Microsoft? Well, so Microsoft's been obviously a great performer, but it's not uh, exhibiting the same characteristics day to day, week over week that Apple is. Uh, I, I would rather be in Microsoft than the S&P. I'd rather be in Microsoft than a lot of broker dealers or other cyclical stocks that are showing real uh, distribution. Uh, but if one had to choose between Apple and Microsoft, uh, by my work, Apple's the winner. A self would you rather, which I will allow. Carter, thank you. Carter sure. Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Would you make the same choice, Karen Feinerman? Well, I have them both. So I, I don't know. I guess not then. I have them both. I keep them both. I think they're both great. And uh, yeah, it's not a terrific answer, but that's my book. I guess it's like asking which child you love more. Um, Dan Nathan. Exactly. I do I'll have a favorite, you. though. But okay. no. <laughs> Dan, I'll yeah. ask you then. Just kidding. Yeah, I think the more interesting question, Mel, and Carter just said he'd rather own Microsoft than the S&P 500. I'd actually rather own the S&P 500 for a lot huh. of what we've been talking about is the poor breadth. We already have a lot of stocks that have been marked down. I think there was a stat about how many stocks are or more than 50 percent of the S&P 500 are down more than 10 percent from their recent all-time highs. So to me, I think you have the idiosyncratic risk of any one of those two names that have gone up straight up. They have gained like a trillion dollars in market cap, those two stocks, in less than two months. So to me, I think there's risk there if there's any reason to have any hiccups in these Q4 results or their 2022 guidance. I'd just much rather not have that idiosyncratic risk and be in the S&P. I guess it also goes to which adventure you choose, Tim, and you outlined a couple of them in terms of do you want to be in the sort of the reflation tree and on the belief that there's going to be greater inflation or do you want to be in this sort of secular stack, uh, uh, growth trade so, because you're seeing economic growth slow down? Well, I, I would rather be in the reflation trade and, and call it a value divergence that Dubrovko talked about. But if I may, would you rather, rather, um, self, would you rather, rather, I, I'd rather have Amazon. Um, because again, if I look at the underperformers relative to the S&P, Amazon's up 9%. I actually think Amazon uh, has withstood some really tough comps uh, and is in a great place in terms of the secular tailwinds around e-commerce. Apple, by the way, has outperformed the S&P by 72% over the last two years. You can pick your spots, but I, I like a nice two-year run to really tell the full picture. Apple hasn't underperformed, it, it's outperformed. And, and therefore, um, I think Amazon, which really um, was so far ahead of everyone early COVID, is the name, and I'm sorry I did that, and, and I know I will get in trouble. You're not sorry, because you did it. I mean, it's done. So, Guy, you know what? <laughs> Choose whatever stock, whatever stock you want. Go ahead. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, S&P, whatever you want, Guy. What do you think? Yeah. So yeah. you're upset at the others, so you take it out on me. I'll play your game correctly, 
going back to the original thing. I'll point this out about Apple. I, this flight to safety, flight to quality, whatever you call it, traded 175 million shares today, just to put a fine point on what Carter mentioned earlier. That's more than two times normal volume. So what's going on here is the fact that people are fleeing clearly the broader market and finding their way into Apple. If you think the broader market is going to stop going down, then I think you're inclined to take profits in Apple. How about them apples, Mel? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Coming up, we've got more in today's big market sell-off. Pharma stocks heading in different directions. We'll break down the moves next, and with stocks dropping, our traders are ready to give you some pullback picks. You've heard of Teflon trades, but what about diamond hand investments? You're naming names of Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an after-hours alert for you on Merck shares popping after the FDA recommended emergency use authorization for its experimental COVID-19 antiviral treatment pill. Shares are up about 1.5% right now. But check out the action in the drug space in today's sell-off. Vaccine makers, Moderna, BioNTech, J&J, and AstraZeneca all down today. Pfizer, the only bright spot, gaining about 2.5%. And just moments ago, the company has officially requested emergency use authorization for boosters for 16- and 17-year-olds. Karen, you're long Pfizer. Mm-hmm. I'm long actually a bunch of the big cap pharma for a few reasons. Mainly, I do think if rates go higher, we're going to look for things that are relative value. And the PE, the value in this space is very good, right? PE multiples for a Pfizer, for a Merck or 12 or 13 times. There's a yield of, I think, 3.6 or 7 for Merck, 2.9 for Pfizer. So to me, it seems like a good place to hide, particularly in an environment where the Pfizer's are, they are no longer going to be sort of the punching bag for politicians when you consider what Pfizer has done, right? How much they have helped us with the pandemic. So I think they're no longer the punching bag. I think the, the, uh, if there is a build back better, we'll see. Um, it's watered down somewhat in how much pressure there'll be on drug prices. So for a lot of reasons, I like the space and I think, you know, Pfizer, they have a lot of things, but I think they'll, they've have sort of now a somewhat of an annuity with, COVID as a, as a, you know, something we're going to live with as opposed to something that we're going to vanquish. So I like the whole space, but Pfizer's my favorite. Yeah, but at the same time from a Moderna, sort of the more biotech area in this uh, sector, Tim, it's, it's harder to make the case in a rising rate environment. It is. I, you know, I think Moderna's move today is a 40 percent move in the previous five days. Um, Moderna was much more cautious in their comments this morning. And, and I think that, you know, didn't help on the headline. Um, but I, I think, you know, obviously at some point uh, a month ago, uh, there was a lot of questions and the stock was playing out a little bit of an existential battle with what do they do beyond COVID? And, and so um, I think that's really the question here. The, the multiple makes no sense at Moderna uh, based upon the current pipeline and earnings power. Um, it's the view that these, uh, you know, that this, like, this brilliant company that was on the leading edge of solving or at least helping us cope with this, this uh, pandemic is, is certainly going to be there for the next one. Uh, but again, look at the move the stock had had. That's what I think today was about. All right, coming up, forget Teflon trades, diamonds are in vogue. So we're getting some diamond hand investment picks from our traders next. Plus more in today's crude collapse, oil hitting a three-month low as markets sold off. So how should you trade the space? We're breaking it all down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the ARK Innovation ETF, ticker ARKK, falling along with the rest of the market today. We're going to hear much more about the move tomorrow in a CNBC Pro Talk exclusive with ARK Invest's Kathy Wood. See where ARK stands on many of the key names in tech, fintech, biotech, emerging world of electric cars. This is your chance to ask your questions directly to Kathy Wood. 
Sign up now, cnbc.com slash pro. Well, on a day like today, we often look for opportunity here on Fast Money. You've heard us call them Teflon trades, safety plays. But what about diamonds, as in diamond hand trades? Stocks that might be worth betting on, holding on to for a bounce. Each trader's got a name. So, Tim, what's your pick? It's Nike. Uh, it, it, look at what this company has done throughout the years, and they've done it for a couple of reasons. One is because they have brands, they have pricing power. Uh, in many cases, they control their distribution. And, and then they have the innovation, and then they just have the tailwinds of some, some trends around fitness and wellness and, and where, uh, I think, on, on both sides of uh, the world, they're, they're, they're dominating and they're executing. So uh, you had an opportunity to sell this stock, uh, whether it was around supply constraints, whether it was around shutdown of Vietnam factories and what that might have meant for a holiday season. If you did that, uh, you probably missed a 20% move higher in the stock. So back near all-time highs, trades at a premium multiple. It should trade at a premium multiple. It is one of the most iconic and well-known consumer brands in the world uh, and also a really well-run company. So I, I stay there. Karen, what's your pick? Yeah, mine is United Rental, and uh, they had excellent earnings out last month, and the stock was up $20 on that day, and I said, don't buy a stock up $20, wait, there'll be a crappy day. Well, there's been a several crappy days, and I chose today's crappiness to buy some more. It peaked at 415 <laughs> intraday on the infrastructure uh, bill being passed. So that's still happening. The infrastructure bill is happening, and URI will be in the center of that. And also, if you think about supply chain issues, they have machines, right? And so they get paid a daily rate. And if there's inflation, they get paid higher daily rates. That's just more cash flow to the bottom line for them. So I think having come in, I don't know, $80 from that peak, which is probably too high, um, it's a very nice place to own it. They are near the bottom of where they want to be EBITDA to debt, meaning they have less debt. They'd like to actually have more. So we'll see them probably do some significant buybacks with their excess cash flow. So URI, that's my pick. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I hope URI is friendly to me. They're a guy's best friend, I know for sure. So what's your diamond hand pick, Guy? <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks ago, Terry Duffy, who is another stud, by the way, announced on our show that deal they did with Google. Um, imitation, the greatest form of flattery. About an hour or so ago, the NASDAQ announced a deal with Amazon Web Services Makes a lot of sense. NASDAQ, not that far off its recent all-time high. I think that's a stock that's going to continue to grind higher. CME is in the same category without question. Best in show, but I think the NASDAQ NDAQ has some room on the upside here. Dan, Nathan, you're up. All right, Mel. I'm not going to play your game. I'm not going to pick a stock. I'm going to pick a crypto. I'm going to pick Ethereum, ETH, okay? As our friend Packy McCormick likes to say, to buy ETH is like owning the internet of Web3 here. This is one that I pick on on almost every uh, pullback in the, in the name. And I know it's breaking out here. It's right back um, at all-time highs here. If you think NFTs, if you think DeFi, these are just buzzwords. Well, I'm telling you, they're here to stay. I can't tell you about the valuation of some of the coins or the protocols that are based on them, but they're all built on the Ethereum, for the most part, network here. And I I think that is why we may see 
Ethereum catch up to Bitcoin. It's about 50% of its market cap. That's going to be in 2022. Now, here's the thing. If one of the knocks on ETH is that it's expensive, the gas fees are high right now, okay? And it's slow or could be faster like Solana, that sort of thing. Well, Ethereum is going to be upgrading the network. They're going to move from a proof of work to a proof of stake, which should help the fees and it should help the speed. So to me, I find this one really interesting. It's up about 500% in 2021 versus Bitcoin, which is below its highs and only up about 100%. But I kind of believe in this one. And this is where I want to put incremental money into the market, but into the crypto market. Ethereum's outperformance over Bitcoin is the most since its inception this year. So we've already seen that divergence. Coming up, oil dropping hard in today's sell-off. Crude hitting a three-month low. So where are the opportunities in the energy trade? We're breaking it down next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Check out Chevron dropping today as markets sold off. And that has Kramer diving into this trade. Find out how he is playing this move. Check out the CNBC Investing Club newsletter. All the information to sign up is right there on your screen. Sticking with energy, check out crude oil getting crushed today, hitting its lowest level since August as COVID fears put a damper on demand yet again. WTI is up, uh, is excuse me, down more than 15% in just the last week to finish its worst month uh, since March of 2020. Tim, what do you make of the action today? It's, it's interesting how we go from releasing um, oil from the SPR to now worried about demand. Yeah, and, and I, I wasn't a big fan of that release. And, and I think uh, on some level, it, it really showed structurally where we actually may still have supply uh, issues. I'm, I'm not worried about demand. And, and I guess, you know, I, I, you have a dynamic here with, uh, with COVID that I, I realize we've had some headwinds, but ultimately demand is not the issue on the energy side. Uh, we've talked about Biden's policy on energy and why that's ultimately great for fossil fuels. It may not be great for the future. Um, but it certainly worked in energy's favor. You're down almost 20% on Brent. Um, this is, you know, November hasn't traded through the 200 day as it did today. I don't think you need to buy it, but energy is way oversold here, and I would be looking for my spot. All right, let's get to Mike Coe. He's on the fast line. Um, Mike, what did you see play out in the options market today in energy? Yeah, we, we saw quite a lot, actually. There were a lot of energy names that saw well above average uh, daily volume. One of the ones that I was looking at was Marathon Petroleum, ticker symbol MPC. That one traded more than three times its average daily put volume. That was mostly the result of some heavy activity in the December 10th weekly 60 strike puts. We saw 8,271 of those trading for just over a dollar ninety buyers of those, and there were a couple institutional opening buyers in that are obviously betting that the weakness could continue through the end of the next week. But actually, to Tim's point, I would quickly also note that in Devon Energy, for example, we saw some people rolling their calls down. So we saw above average volume, some people trying to take advantage of the decline in prices to essentially position their strikes a little bit lower for a rebound. Yeah. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. For more options, action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trades, Tim. My view on energy ties into my view on travel, ties into my view on Boeing. This is a good time. And the China Max certification, I think, is coming. Boeing. Karen. Yeah, I'm sticking with my diamond hand trade, URI. Could it go lower? Yes. But at some point, I'll be happy to own it from this price. Dan. Intel, Mel. Guy. Bristol Myers down at that March 2020 low. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 